Hey, I'm Moz the Wise. Welcome to my show. But what I'd like to have now is all you inner city Spotify, Facebook sweat hogs to keep the noise down while I interview another one of my lifelong friends, Joe E. Legend. Hey, Joe. How you doing, buddy? I love the Rick Rude tribute. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. I did that for you, man. Uh, I knew that. Uh, <laughs> oh, you were huge. You were a huge rude guy back in the day. We used to do that subway. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, we did all kinds of goofy crap. I remember we used to stand for Nikolai Volkov's anthem at the uh, at Maple Leaf Gardens and salute. People would be throwing crap at us. And we'd be, hey, he's an ambassador of goodwill from a foreign nation. Show some respect, damn it. <laughs> How about, about the... Uh... At, at the bar with uh, Sergeant Slaughter, and we, oh, boy, did we make a lot of people angry. <laughs> that was fantastic. Oh, there's so many things we did over there. Like, I was talking to Mike about this, your guest from your last podcast, Mike Thorne. Are you we talking were, about Mike Thorne, the drummer from Saga and, and Spocksbeard? And from Day Job Orchestra, yes, the very same. Well, that's fantastic. The very first guest, the inaugural guest on, on Oz the Wise's show. Um, but I was talking to him about it. We were just kind of discussing the fact that we like we used to spend money renting video cameras and making stupid videos. We'd all chip in. To, he'd go to some video store over on Lawrence near Cedarbrae and rent a camera for a day. And we just, you know, burn that thing out the whole day and then watch these videos over and over again. And they're all pretty foolish and stupid and fun. Um, so if we'd come up now, like we all would have had the videos on our phones. We would have had a thousand times the footage. But... We'd also have a thousand times the evidence. <laughs> we probably we probably came up in the right era where pretty much most of our hijinks never really got caught on tape, and that's probably for for all of us for the best. Especially being a dad, I don't need my kids knowing half the mischief we got into. Thousand years of jail time, too, bud. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> all right, I'm going to hit you with the hard hitting questions right now. I hope you're prepared. I am, but I'll just give your uh, your listeners a quick uh, heads up. Uh, professionally, my name is Joey Legend from Toronto, now living in Hanover, Germany. Um, I've toured uh, 46 countries in the career. I had a brief run with WWE. I had a run with TNA. Uh, 15 tours of Japan, 138 tours of the UK, 68 tours of France, plus, you know, just here, there, and everywhere, including, like, Nigeria and South Africa and stuff. So I have a pretty decent perspective on every aspect of the industry culturally. And I've been offered uh, two different universities to, um, to speak on the cultural impact of wrestling and on the socio sociological impact of wrestling as well. So um, that's kind of my, my history. I'm now an old man of 52. I've got two new hips and I'm still going, I'm still wrestling, still teaching classes here, there and everywhere. And I will be in Poland this weekend in Katowice uh, to teach a class Saturday and then um, wrestle a match on Sunday against a gentleman named Reno, who's one of my students. Wow, that sounds hectic, my friend. Hectic. <laughs> it's a lot of hurry up and wait. Like most of the, like when I'm flying, a lot of times like get to the airport early and then just sit. And then you get on the plane and you just sit. My first trip home from South Africa took 44 hours. And it was a whole bunch of different flights because Ish, the promoter, Ish Maharaj, he... I don't know. I guess he got deals on shorter flights. So leaving, we had to go from like, what was it? Durban to Johannesburg, Johannesburg to Abu Dhabi, 
Abu Dhabi to Bahrain, Bahrain to Iraq, Iraq to Germany, to Frankfurt, and Frankfurt, Chicago, and then Chicago, Toronto. So it was a, an arduous process getting around. But a lot of this job is hurry up and wait. My actual working time is usually 15, 20 minutes a day. So I, it's first world problems if, if I'm getting paid a full-time wage to essentially sit around and then work 15 minutes. I, I love your business. Uh, you know that. No, oh, yeah. Uh, I've grown up since, uh, you know, grown up with wrestling since I was a child. Yeah. Uh, I almost WWE did it. He appreciates all the money we gave him, I bet, too. <laughs> Going to Maple Leaf Gardens every couple of weeks. I almost did it, my friend. I almost did it. And then I took a slam in the mat. And boy, that was the end of my career. <laughs> <laughs> that hurt. I yeah, couldn't believe how much pain I was in. It hurts more than you expect. And I mean, like I'd had the 10 years of karate and kung fu ahead of it. So I was used to being physical, like one-on-one physical. Plus I played football and, you know, various other sports and stuff. So I was, I went in there already. I'm not going to say seasoned for wrestling, but I went in there kind of prepared to do a one-on-one sport. Like it's harder to get, I think, a football player to turn into a wrestler because a football player relies on so many other players to do their jobs. Whereas wrestling is like you relying on yourself maybe a tag team but it's one other person um i had the martial arts behind me doing tournament fighting and kickboxing and all that stuff so that that helped me to kind of uh, move ahead in the class quicker and ultimately i was the first one in my class to get out of the gym and tour and i, I got that first tour of japan for fmw and I, it was a 92 or 93 i can't remember but i'd only had like three matches ever and then i went to japan so i was well out of my depth but it was a great learning experience. And you teach now, you say, right? So you're teaching yeah. uh, people how to wrestle and take bumps and stuff like that. Has anybody quit on you right away? Or? Uh, very few people quit right away. But what I find is like, I don't, I don't have my own school. I get hired in to teach here. There. There's a school here in Hanover. There's another one in a place called the Hearts, which is like a mountain range. Not about an hour and a half from here, I would say. Close to two hours, maybe. And they have a school, so they, they bring me in periodically. Poland brings me in every few weeks. But those are students who are already there. Um, so I haven't had somebody show up first day, and I've had to kind of break them in for the most part. But I've had people who, um, like if I'm doing a week of seminars or even a weekend, they'll come in for the first day. And I won't, I'm not, I know Bill DeMott has this reputation of, you know, thrash people, a million Hindu squats and beating them up. I don't do that. Like, I'll make sure that if you're here to learn to wrestle, I'll teach you how to wrestle. If you're not in shape today, I won't make you in shape by the end of today. I can give you tools to go and get yourself in shape, but that's, that's on you. And um, I've had guys who do the first day and then the second day, they don't come back. They'll come back next week when I'm, <laughs> when I'm home in Germany. Because um, there's, there's a lot of students, and you know, this isn't to kind of crap on it, but I assume it's in every sport and every kind of thing is that some guys don't necessarily want to learn from you. They just want you to tell them how great they are. And a lot of them aren't. Like, they, it's a learning process. I mean, I learn right up to this day and beyond. I'll keep learning. you got to be hexogen. And I think a lot of guys kind of believe. There's guys who kind of buy into it. Like, if they're, if, if they're winning, they won. But if they lost, they're doing business. And they have this kind of gray area on how real they want to treat this or not. And it's a, it's kind of a weak ego thing, I find. So who was your, who was your most impactful teacher that, that you learned the most off? Um, 
Well, I mean, Ron Hutchinson, Sweet Daddy Siki, the two of them uh, were the, the actual trainers at the rest of school in Toronto over there on Fraser Street there, Sully's Gym. Um, what was great is Ron was the guy who got in the ring with us and, you know, mixed it up. He was the physical guy and just brilliant, like never got the credit he deserved because he was so talented. What was really funny, actually, is that I used to watch wrestling on the weekends. You know, we used to watch Maple Leaf Wrestling and All-American yeah. Wrestling and all, you know, all that stuff. But it was all WWF job matches. And my yes. weekend wasn't complete until I saw Ron Hutchinson get beat up and until I saw Lanny Poffo get beat up. And now two of them I consider very dear friends. So I feel kind of <laughs> guilty you know, looking in the rearview mirror because I really like those guys. And they're both super talented. But what was really cool about Siki is Siki, he was older and he, you know, he'd taken his bumps. He'd put in his miles and he wasn't going to get in the ring and mix it up. He'd also had a stroke. You know, he had some health issues. But what was hilarious is he'd be sitting there on one of the benches watching us wrestle. And Ron would just tell us, go in there. It would be me and people you're, you know, the listeners will know, like Edge and Christian and like that. A few other guys, Johnny Swinger. And we'd go mix up and we'd do this match. And we'd think it was brilliant. And we'd do like 40 minutes of just nonsensical, like if I were to watch it now, I'd be humiliated at how stupid all the crap we did was. But at the time, we thought we were genius. And um, at the end of it, Ron would just kind of like throw his hands and say, all right, end this abortion. My God. We're like, oh, stop it. And then we'd all turn to Siki. Now, Siki would be sitting on the bench and he would look like he's falling asleep. Like his chin would be down. It would look like his eyes were shut. And it's like... As we're bumping around, we're making a lot of noise. Like, he's sleeping through this? Oh, my goodness. This is ridiculous. <laughs> and then Ron would you know, just slate us for 10 straight minutes. And he did this wrong, and this was stupid, and why did you do this? And it was all, everything Ron said was 100% right, and everything we did was 100% wrong. I'm not in any way defending what we did. But then we'd all turn to Siki. And it's like, all right, let's hear what he's got to say. And Ron was like, hey, okay, Reg, what, uh, you got anything to add? And without looking up, he'd go, Joe, your feet were wrong on the headlock. And I'd be like, oh, my God, they were. How did he know? Like, his eyes were closed. <laughs> like, what kind of Sith is this guy? But the Siki was just brilliant. He was a really excellent details guy. Everyone of wrestling. Huh? Kind of, yeah. Like, Ron could give you the broad perspective on how to do big moves, pick people up, throw them, suplex, all that crap. Reversals on the arm. All kinds of cool stuff like that. But then Siki would have all these fine minor details that would take a move that was decent and make it excellent. And if I would have, if I would have shut up and listened more sooner, I probably would have gotten better faster. Oh, and that's just like interesting stuff. That was but, fun. It was uh, a fun time. I know I have a couple fan questions here for you. Sure, hit me. Here's my first one. Okay, you ready for this one? This one might floor you. Okay. This one, okay, this I'm, one is from un, this one's from an old school wrestler. His name was Devastating Daryl. Uh, okay, he was wondering, other than the Ed Hitchin Living Room War Memorial Stadium, <laughs> yeah, where was the one place that made you say, "Wow, awesome! I can't believe I'm going to wrestle here, man." Um. I'd say, uh, well, there's a, there's a couple that I can qualify them. Um, there's a place in Tokyo called Cork and Hall. And it's kind of the Madison Square Gardens of Japanese wrestling. All the companies, like, book shows there. All the, all the major companies. The, the ones out in the sticks, no. But if you've made it in Japan, you're in Cork and Hall, at least for one show of that tour. 
and you go into the the stairwell and you sign your name. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of names all signed through the stairwell. So I got my name up there in a couple of places because I've had gimmick changes in different companies, things like that. Um, so Cork and Hall, I always wanted to do because that's the big deal. Um, but also I did Budokan, which is the big, big Tokyo uh, arena that, you know, like Ozzy Osbourne plays there, Dio played there, you know, Bon Jovi will play, like all these great musicians over the years, Metallica will play there and stuff like that. So, you know, that's you know, my style of music, too, right? <laughs> yeah. So I'll, oh, I walked, I walked heel to toe backstage around just making sure I was like, at some point I'm going to stand exactly where Ozzy stood, or where Alice Cooper stood, or where Kiss stood, or who Motley Crue, or whoever I was, you know. But hook or crook, I'm not missing a step. So I, I walked heel toe backstage to, to embrace it. But Budokan was cool. And the silliest one was I went to see uh, the first SummerSlam in 1988 at Madison Square Garden. As me and uh, my buddy Dean Nuno and John Desmarais, we went, the three of us. And um, <laughs> Dean had a couple other friends who'd, who'd flown in on a different day, and he had tickets with them up close. And John and I were a bit up in the rafters, but it was still cool. The, the ovation when Ultimate Warrior beat Honky Tonk for the Intercontinental, it, it was like getting hit with noise. It, you could almost touch the noise. It was so loud. It was unbelievable, the energy of it. But when we were leaving, we were on the escalators leaving the, the building. Uh, John and I started, like, uh, you know, work punching and chopping each other. That way we could say technically we wrestled in Madison Square Garden. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my Madison Square Garden debut was on an escalator in 1988 in front of a bunch of people just annoyed that we were in their way trying to leave the building. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy. Okay, so okay. you know, Cork, you know Cork some of my. Oh, probably my bad. Sorry. No, no Can you reiterate and, that answer? No problem. Corican and Budokan were probably my two, you know, holy moments. More so countries. I I find like when I got to go to Moscow the first time. I've been to Moscow I think about ten times. Um, but you know, doing a main event in front of you know five thousand people in Moscow. I mean that was you know a pretty interesting thing to do. So I find more so than just, you know, particular buildings, it's like, oh my God, like how many people from, you know, from my childhood can say they went to, you know, Moscow or Cape Town or anything like that. So I find that, I, I take a certain pride in that. Like, wow, I've seen a lot of the world. Uh, I'm going to go here and uh, you probably might not enjoy it, but uh, my <laughs> favorite could. Joe, my favorite Joe E. Legend moment, uh, unfortunately, was under the moniker Just Joe. Yeah, worst gimmick and, in wrestling uh, history. I was so so proud of you, man. So proud of you, and and people are gonna laugh. That's fine. Uh, when the you got punched, thing? of yeah, course. Rocks, yeah, that one. Yeah, dude, that's I was so proud of you. So proud, like yeah, my friend got beat up by Stone Cold. It's fantastic. I'm like, it's the, awesome, man. The hilarious part about that whole situation is that we they pulled me in the back, and that was like I think that might be my only WWE paper. But uh, they, they pulled us back and said, okay, you're doing this bit with Rock and Stone Cold. I was like, wow, like they're, they're throwing me in, you know, deep into the water. This is cool, you know? So they get the camera set up in the one locker room, blah, blah, blah. So they're like, okay, so what's going to happen is, is Rock's going to be getting changed. Austin's going to walk in. They're going to have a stare down. Then Joe's going to walk in. Joe's going to say something. Then Austin's going to kick the shit out of him. I was like, all right. 
whatever. You're paying the bills. I don't care. So uh, they send me and Austin into the hall. And so we're just kind of standing there. And it was nice to meet you, shaking hands. He's a super nice guy. And um, it's funny because Austin says, he goes, uh, so where are you from? I said, oh, I'm from Toronto. Oh, one of the Toronto boys, like uh, Edge and Christian. I said, yeah, yeah, I actually kind of helped teach them for a while. Oh, that's cool. Uh, where you been working? I said, oh, well, you know, Ontario, northern states, uh, done a couple tours, Japan, Africa, stuff like that, Germany. And he goes, uh, Japan, huh? You a shooter? Which means like a legitimate fighter, right? I was like, I can. You know, I don't know if he's calling me on or not. I'm like, yeah, I can. He goes, okay. Well, probably if I end up stiffing you in there, promise not to whoop my ass after. I said, okay, I promise <laughs> not to whip your ass. And he kind of laughed and he walked in. They, they, you know, they knocked on the door so he could go in and do his first bit before they sent me in. And then I stood there and I just realized for a second, like for a brief second, I thought, in the height of the Attitude Era, Stone Cold Steve Austin just asked politely for just Joe not to kick the crap out of him. And nobody saw it. <laughs> I, just want, <laughs> I just want one witness. I wish somebody had a camera phone back then who could have filmed that just so I'd have that, you know, look, Austin wanted, didn't want me to beat him up. He's afraid. <laughs> but he's a super Maybe guy. Rock, Rock is the nicest guy as well. Rock is super. I'm so glad for his success just because he's such a good guy. Maybe I can do some investigating in the Stone Cold for you, my friend. <laughs> a lot of people did invest. That was during the uh, who ran Stone Cold over thing. So the investigations were hot and heavy back then. <laughs> we didn't know right. Rikishi did it for the people. Going to switch directions with you. Okay. And nobody was going to uh, think that I could sneak video games in here, but I can. <laughs> uh, I remember with uh, actually devastating Daryl, myself, and I believe it was Johnny D. Yep. Uh, we'd go to the arcade and we would play. Do you remember? It was, was it TWF? It was main event Konami wrestling. Stomping knee drop. Ah, Stomping yeah. knee drop. Yeah. El Condor. Yeah, El Condor. <laughs> I, was, I think I was El Condor and you were, I forget what you were. But it was like we'd hit a bunch of elbows and then you'd figure for him to get the win. Every yeah, time. Like yeah. It was just the same format over and over. And we'd bitch that Hulk had the match, the same match every night. But then you and I go... Was, because it, He was Conan. We do, what's that? Hulk was Conan. Uh, was cool. I, I've I mean, been recently watching the YouTube video of the that that video game. Oh, really? Okay. So it's Conan the Great. I okay. remember if you remember this one. The Maui Muller. Oh, that's right. But when we was, used to play, when we used to play, we used to like complain about because you and I we hated Hulk. We were Macho Man. We were Macho Man Mark. We love Mark. We love Macho. That's right. So we would we would watch Hulk, and we were like Hulk Hogan has the same match every night. That's boring. He sucks. But then we go to the play, to the arcade and we play and we do the same fucking strategy every time, <laughs> even though we bitch about Hogan, but we do it because it worked. So we were a bit hypocritical in our in our offense. But that was that was a great game, though. You got to admit. I mean, I'm not in quarters. We, we put into that showing our age here. We put quarters in the machine, kids. Yeah, and they had the big button. You had we had to tap the button really, really, really fast to keep our energy up to get the win. And I remember I got blood blisters on my fingertips. Oh, <laughs> like yeah. drumming on the top of the thing, trying to make sure we'd win the belts. All right, another popular question going around. Another popular okay. question. 
everybody's asking. I'm going to give you my Mount Rushmore first, and then you okay. can uh, you can tell me yours. Uh, okay. I'm going to go, and I thought about this heavy last night, heavy last night. I'm going with Randy Savage, of course, mm-hmm. The Rock, Bret Hart, and Mr. Perfect. Those are my oh. four guys. Those are now, really let's hear it. all let's quality hear choices. Those are all quality choices. Golly, that's hard. Well, you see, once again, it all depends. Like, if it's just who I was most entertained by watching, the three guys who got me interested in the business were Piper Flair and Savage. So if I were to follow that, hmm? you're a huge uh, Flair fan when you're. Oh yeah, Flair, huge, huge. Flair was the dude for me. Partially, I think because like we didn't like Hulk. And we had to concede it, and he's still the world champion. But I kept saying, no, no, Flair's the real world champion. I could like kind of deflect the conversation to try and validate myself. But um, <laughs> I, I say, I, maybe if I were to do it just on entertainment value, those three and Mr. Perfect. Flair, Savage, Piper, and Mr. Perfect. Because, I mean, if, to look at it from that perspective, I mean, I love everybody you saw. Like Brett, I consider Brett a good friend and all that stuff. Like, you know, he's, he's fantastic. He might be the best or the best was ever will be. But from uh, from what inspires me to the business, you had Piper who could talk you into the building. Piper was just ma- a magic on the mic. He was unbelievable, right? Savage was a star. Like you couldn't take your eyes off him when he walked in the room. There was something about Savage. He was just an absolute star. Flair could take anybody. And make him look like a champion. Like that was his job was to make everybody look better. He took a guy like Luger. And I like Luger and everything. He's a nice guy. But he was limited. And Flair took him in his first year for like 60 and 90 minute draws in Florida. Like you got to have some talent to make that guy look like he's better than you when he's really not. Like for that length of time. So Flair being able to quarterback guys and as a business builder, making stars. Like Flair made Luger. He made Sting. He made Nikita Koloff. He made a lot of guys. Um, and then Mr. Perfect, just for absolute unbelievable work rate, like watching that guy bounce around the ring like crazy. You couldn't, as, as a fan, you could get mad at him for being a jerk, but you couldn't deny how good he was. And that ultimately would probably annoy the fans more. That they want to complain about him, but it's so hard because he's so <laughs> really good at what he does. So maybe those four might be, but then, you know, if you're talking about money draws, then it's got to be probably, you know, San Martino, Hogan, um, Rock, and Austin. Those are probably your biggest money draws ever. So it just depends. You got to qualify the the Rushmore as far as what what they serve to to be on the Mount Rushmore. If you want for money draws, those four guys. Even though I wasn't a fan of Hulk, but now I appreciate it. Now I can yes, really appreciate like discussion he, on this man. Yeah, like he's, <laughs> he, no, but he was able to you know. Nobody reads a room like the Hulk. And, you know, I was just on the opposite side of the ledger from I wanted the bad guys to win. And it was more conducive to good business to have the good guys win. (laughs) Hulk was, you know, he was the the goose that laid the golden egg. They shouldn't kill him. I was just happened to be in the very small minority that wanted to see that goose killed because I wanted Orndorff to be the champ or Savage or Terry Funk or Rick Rude or, you know, whoever was uh, the big push heel at the time. Rick would Rick Rude would have made a great champ. Great champ. 
Yeah, I thought he did a wonderful job with what they gave him in WCW when he eventually had the, the dumbest name, International World Champion. Because they had two belts and they dropped out of the NWA. Um, but, like, Rude was a guy you could totally put your belt on. He's legitimate as hell. Like, I mean, he was an on-the-level tough guy. Yeah, a world-class, world-class yeah. arm wrestler, an excellent athlete, great on the mic, always in spectacular shape. Um, the thing Bobby Heenan said about managing him, he said it was tough managing him because Rude didn't feel he needed a manager because he could talk. Usually you put a manager with like Kamala who can't speak or George Steele or something like that. But uh, Rude was really good on the mic, so he didn't need a manager. And I, he, I think maybe he could have taken a, book, a page out of Flair's book there because Flair always had like James J. Dillon or Bobby Heenan in his corner to, to you know, get more heat on him cheating, making the baby face look better because he needed a, a second guy to help him on the outside. Whereas Rude wanted to do it all his own. And Rude could do it all his own. For sure he could. But, you know, there's always that extra tool he would have in his tool belt if he had a manager. Inside, and I think that worked for him. I, I mean, maybe he should appreciate it more. I don't know. Uh, hold on. I'm getting a... Producer Seb wants to ask a question. Sure. Uh, Producer Seb said, what is your favorite country to wrestle in? Uh, well, that's my producer, producer Seb. Yes. <laughs> I appreciate producer Seb's input. Um, you see, it varies. Like as far as just pure wrestling style, Japan, I like going out there and just mixing it up in Japan. It's so much fun over there. They they don't restrict you on time. They don't restrict you on you know what anything. Like you just go out and you do what you think is right, and they trust the talent to do it. I really really appreciate that. Um, Germany's always been great to me, and I, I suppose I have to say something good about Germany because I live here now, and my kids are here. Um, England's been great to me. I mean, I had the TV series with Roddy Piper and D'Lo you know, a bunch of years ago. So I've always enjoyed what, England. What, what was that called? Celebrity Wrestling. I, I coached six British celebrities. D'Lo coached six British celebrities. We gave them wrestling gimmicks, and they did like American Gladiators type games, and Roddy Piper was the host of the show. My team won men's championship, women's championship, and uh, overall team championship. I got the trophy here. I ain't afraid. But um, yeah, it was, you know, so England's been really good to me. But I mean, like Switzerland and Sweden are so beautiful to visit. Um, South Africa's always treated me well. Um, you know, Moscow's always been interesting. So it's hard to, to say one place is my favorite. It just depends on what you like as far as, you know, like, I lived in Puerto Rico for a while. I love Puerto Rico. I'd heard a million horror stories, but, like, 99 people told me terrible things. One guy, Val Venus, told me, go, it's awesome. And Val was right, and everybody else was wrong. I love Puerto Rico. Um, so, yeah, like it, it varies. There's, there's so many great places. I, I, I didn't enjoy Nigeria. That's one place I didn't particularly care for. But, you know, the other 45 countries, I was always able to find something I liked there. And I go to Poland you, a lot now. Poland treats me really well. Did you know Val Venus is Rob Gronkowski's, one of his favorite wrestlers? <laughs> is it really? Did you know that? No, no, I didn't. Now you do? Yeah. <laughs> well, we were talking about the Rob. other day. I did the, um, I did the angle in TNA with um, Brian Urlacher from the Bears. 
he was the number one merch seller in the NFL and somehow TNA convinced him to come in. And so I did a, a short little angle on TNA with, uh, with him one night and just a super nice guy and totally professional, more professional, a lot of wrestlers I've met, to be honest. Um, he wasn't scary at all. Super, just super nice. He's a big, powerful guy. I mean, you knew he was a serious athlete, like just the way he carried himself. But I'm not going to lie, he man. Was, if I saw that guy on a football field, I'd be terrified. No. <laughs> things he's, he's just like, he seemed like a starstruck kid kind of. It's like, wow, look at this. I'm in the ring, and I know this guy. Oh, my God. And, like, he was just, you know, I just took him aside and said, you know, here's what we'll do. Are you cool with this? And I'm just going to keep it basic because, you know, you're not prepared for complicated stuff. And you're not going to be around long enough to make your make it worth your while to learn all the complicated stuff. And he was just so nice and so friendly and so professional about everything. And then afterwards, he gave me a bunch of Bears merchandise. I still have the shorts here somewhere. I got a pair of like uh, Chicago Bears training shorts given to me by Brian Erlacher. And my brother was a big Bears fan for years back in the days of the fridge and all that stuff. So I uh, Would that be I gave, Mr. I gave, Red, White, and Blue. <laughs> that's right. So I gave uh, I gave all that most of that stuff to my brother Jamie. All right, uh, I got a couple more things, and then uh, unfortunately we're going to wrap it up. I got to keep this short and sweet and to the point. No problem. Okay, uh, close. Uh, one of your closing thoughts I really, really want is uh, your thoughts on Vince McMahon because I've heard a lot of stuff lately. I'm not going to go into it because I'm sure a lot of it is Vince McMahon's personal personal issues. But uh, your thoughts on Vince McMahon? Um, he's very polite, and um, he's very flattering when he talks. To you. When I went to meet him, they flew me into Connecticut after I'd signed. Um, they flew me in to uh, to go to Titan Tower and meet him. And I had to sit in the place all day. Like he didn't show up till seven in the evening or something. I was there at like 10 in the morning and they took great care of us. They got a great, like full gold's gym type setup in there on one floor. And they had a great cafeteria and gave us a lovely meal and everything. It's me and two other guys, all, you know, new signees. And then he, we knew he was in his office and then he was bringing us in one at a time to kind of meet with us. And he couldn't have been a nicer guy. I mean, Linda was a sweetheart. She was bringing me coffee and stuff. I'm like, you, sh- you probably got people here to do that for you, don't you? But she's like super, super, yeah, she's super nice. <laughs> yeah, cool I've, heard she's that. Nice. I've heard that a lot. But uh, yeah, he's super flattering. And he, he put me over a million bucks. He was like, you know, something in that Canadian water. These Canadian guys just seem to get it. I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm nice to hear. And then he, he compared me. He said I was the halfway point between Mick Foley and Ted DiBiase. And I was like, that's wow, a, that's, that's a huge compliment because I'm a big DiBiase guy. Oh, who didn't love the million dollar man? Yeah, he was great. Um, so yeah, like, so he's super, um, super complimentary. And um, when you're talking to him, he does give you kind of the time of day. He doesn't look like he's, you know, looking off in the distance, thinking about something else and just barely tolerating you. Like if he's in a conversation with you, he's in a conversation with you. He does pay attention. And I appreciated that and doesn't bums rush you out. He's not, not like, yeah, I got shit to do. He's like, okay, sit down and we'll talk until everything's accomplished. Then we don't have to talk more. So that was good. But I think that once you get out of that meeting, if the idea isn't 
exactly if he doesn't have like a, a 10 month program in mind from that first idea, he gets sidetracked immediately because he's got so many other things to do. So I think that's what, um, that's why he has too many, too many writers, too many agents, too many guys around throwing ideas at him that aren't his own. And I think he'd be more committed to getting ideas across if they were his own and he could follow them through. But since the company went public, they need to show a, a turnover like every three months to the shareholders. So instead of taking time to like build an angle, like you had like, uh, I don't know, like John Cena and the rock, but like they built that for a year and they built the Bret Hart, uh, Shawn Michaels thing forever. And they, you know, they got to kind of just throw everything at the fans and hope they like it. And then if they like it, do it again, do it again, do it again. And they, they over, they over rush things as opposed to letting it simmer, let the crowd ask for it and then give the crowd what they ask for. They just say, here, take this. I hope you like it. So I I'm think not going to lie. I'm, I'm everything slowly bending. Slowly bending towards the AEW for me. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, a lot I of people are going over there. So a lot of people are. I mean, I know you're not the biggest Jim Cornette guy. I love Jim Cornette. I know you're not the biggest Cornette guy, but I mean, even I'm he, not, when I'm he, not going to go there right now. <laughs> that's okay. That's say fine. that for another time. When I listen to Cornette talking, like his opinions have shifted dramatically towards AEW. They, they, obviously, he still leans on him and which I find hilarious. But at the same time, like he's more complimentary now than he used to be. So I think they're even winning him over to a certain degree. I don't know if they'll ever win him over, win him over. But I mean, if they can take Cornette from, I hate these people, I want them all to die, to I hate half the show, but the other half's okay. That's an extraordinary <laughs> leap. <laughs> I guess. Extraordinary yeah, leap. I guess. Yeah. All right, I'll give him a little bit of credit for that. He's he's been on my tits lately, uh, this guy because uh, you know he slams the AW a lot. Oh, and, he does. Uh, but when he does, that's a fan. That's <laughs> yeah. um, well, He's one of the reasons. He's one of the reasons I got hired with WWE. So I always, uh, I always liked him. I should probably blame him instead of liking him. <laughs> he's just always good to me. Well, now now I'm not sure if I am supposed to like the guy or not. <laughs> I don't know. I'm supposed to. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, it's my job to confuse you. <laughs> okay, so since we're on AEW, though, there, here's a big thing I really want to talk about. Everybody was talking about this for a while. It's kind of cooled down a little bit, but uh, I made you watch MJF versus CM Punk in a verbal match. Yeah. I found it thoroughly entertaining when you get two guys on the mic who know how to banter back and forth. I find that more entertaining. Yes, uh, absolutely. Do I love the wrestling for sure? But when you get two talkers, it's good to hear them out. Absolutely. What are your thoughts? I think what what I like about well, that is the best strength that AEW has over WWE is the fact that AEW trusts its talent. WWE trusts its writers, and AEW is just saying, "Look, Punk, you know how to be Punk better than any writer knows how to be Punk. So get on the mic and go be Punk, MJF." You know how to be MJF better than anybody else knows how to be MJF, better than any writer or any producer. Go out there and be MJF. Here's the, here's the bullet points. Usually you hit about three bullet points. Anything more than that, people don't remember. Because you, you eat up a lot of time. Um, and they just let those guys go out there and be themselves. And um, they created you know television magic, as they say. I thought it was great. I thought they both were able to pull it off. I mean, Punk's value in WWE was part of it was the fact that he could pull down the fourth wall. He could call Triple H Paul. 
where nobody else could. And, you know, talk about buy rates and angles and stuff like this. Like he was kind of giving the crowds an insider's view that nobody else was allowed to. So crowds felt more drawn to him was, oh, he's inside telling us, he's wising us up, he's telling us the secret. <laughs> and that was his selling point. But then they allowed MJF to to say, you know, well, you know, I'll, I'll beat you quicker than your UFC career or something like that, where he was mocking how quickly Punk yes. kind of lost. But the fact that he was allowed to use that and the fact that Punk is the kind of guy who's like, you know what, for, for trying to draw money here and, and draw interest here, do it. He probably doesn't like hearing crap like that. But he no, put no. his own his own he does he put his own preferences aside to make sure that they had wonderful television, and that's the thing. It was great. It was exactly. Great. But that was two guys who know how to do what they're doing, and nobody stood in their way. And that's my favorite part: is that nobody stood in their way. They didn't need some member of the McMahon family to come out and set the record straight. No, nobody else. Let them two handle it. They're the mouthpieces. It was like when Piper and Rick Rude had that feud. And they were just kicking off at each other. That was great. Heenan would chime in periodically, but really it was those two mouthing off at each other. It was fantastic. And those guys did a wonderful job. I totally agree. Uh, again, I'm sorry. Producer Seb's chirping in my ear. He, he says, uh, is there anything that you would like to promote right now before we um, end the show? Well, if they want to go on Instagram and they go to uh, primetime wrestling in Poland, um, is a promotion I work for, so look them up, they're good. And, um, let's see, Unlimited Wrestling in Germany, they're quite a good company. It was really nice. The last show I did for them, I won a, a Royal Rumble, it's like a 25 man Royal Rumble. At the end of it, when I got through the last two guys out, uh, I got a five minute standing ovation and like crowds chanting for me and everything else, like it was just so flattering. They were such a wonderful, wonderful crowd. And everybody who I worked with who, you know, definitely elevated me along the way. So I'd like to give Unlimited Wrestling a little bit of attention. And for my son, my son plays Minecraft, and you're a video games guy. I know you're not a Minecraft guy, but you're a video games guy. Um, my son, uh, he goes under the name Biventrix. B-Y, capital V, small Y, capital V-E-N-T-R-E-X, I believe it is. Um, He's almost at three. He's like 292 followers. He's trying to get over 300. He's really proud of his YouTube channel. So I'd like to promote my kid's channel in the hopes that uh, he can blow this thing up to well over 300 before the end of the year. I'm cheering for him, buddy. Nah, well, you, you signed up on it. You, uh, what? I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, you did. You <laughs> signed up on it. No, you did. Yeah, I appreciate it very much. You know, you, you helping him along and I appreciate that. Good man. All right, sir. Uh, oh, producer Seb wants one more thing. Uh, will you come on uh, weekly to uh, review a match, or you know, just talk about wrestling anytime, uh, anytime you're available? Sure, happy to do that. Listen, you know, we should talk music too. Like music was such a big part of our time as teenagers. How many concerts did we go to? Maple Leaf Gardens, CNE, Wonderland. Rock and roll heaven. We went to so many concerts. I mean, I love shooting the breeze about music and stuff too. So yeah, music and movies and everything else. Like it doesn't always have to be wrestling, but I'm happy to talk wrestling as well. But I know your show covers, you know, a broad spectrum of entertainment. I'm happy to be on for the ride. Whatever your subject is, I'm happy to be involved. Just don't get me fired, man. 
You know, that's that's Seb. You know, he's a pretty tough guy. Not sure if you know that. Pretty tough. Yeah. Well, he's Just Italian. Don't get me he fired. Be, he's Italian. He might be connected. <laughs> all right. That's all the time we have for today. Uh, so we'll be looking forward to you when you come back, Joe. Yeah, I'm looking forward to coming back. Thanks for having best, me on. I appreciate it. Best wishes to you and your family. And guess what? Merry Christmas, brother. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you. Oh, I will um, send you the link to where they're selling my T-shirts from the promotion in Scotland, too. I'll send that along, too. I almost forgot. Oh, are you going to give me a free T-shirt? I hope I can get a free T-shirt. I hope we both get a free (laughs) (laughs) T-shirt. All right, cheers, cheers, Joe. Okay. It's always a blast, Thanks, brother. So we, my, my we'll get together Saturday. soon. Absolutely. Oh, want to go to Max for a combo? <laughs> nice. All right, nice. we're out. Peace. Later. <laughs>